thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Our second reading today is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61 through to chapter 62, ending at verse 3. So Isaiah 61, beginning at verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. As we come to look at God's written word, let's pray. Father God, we come empty to be filled again with your love. We come hungry for the truth of your word to feed us. We come weary and pray that you will strengthen us with your mighty Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Christmas Day and the Boxing Day sales on Boxing Day are over for another year. But I hope and pray that the wonder of Christmas lingers on for you. I also trust you enjoyed a great Christmas, whether you had a house full of guests or you were just one or two. We've been blessed, as Zane was saying, over our Christmas services here at Holy Trinity. And now we continue our retelling of the Holy Family's progress after the birth of Jesus. This morning, I want us to consider not only the passage we had read in Luke chapter 2, but also the details of the child's name that we had in the previous chapter and at the end of Matthew chapter 1. In particular, I want to draw your attention to the significance of the circumcision of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and thirdly, the salvation that Jesus brings. At the outset, I want to say I'm only going to give a brief overview of each of these three themes. As students will know, they are huge 
in each case. In his gospel, Luke wants to firmly anchor the birth and the infancy narratives within God's unfolding salvation story. What was promised from of old is now in the fullness of time being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. So Luke, although he was a Gentile, is very careful to record the important Jewish ceremonies that Jesus as a Jewish baby experienced. He was circumcised on the eighth day and given the name Jesus. And here in this passage we had read, Jesus was later presented in the temple as the firstborn son of Joseph and Mary. And Mary brought the offering for her purification following the birth. All very Jewish and following the law of Moses. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Five times in our passage in Luke, we have reference to Jesus' parents acting according to the law. All Jewish baby boys are circumcised on the eighth day as a sign that they're coming under God's covenant with his people Israel. God told Abraham in Genesis 17, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. And that passage goes on to underline further the importance of circumcision. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Jesus' parents were a very godly and faithful Jewish couple, as indeed were Zechariah and Elizabeth in the previous chapter. Never ceases to amaze me when people express surprise when they learn that Jesus was a Jew. Unfortunately, over the years, the Jewishness of Jesus has been lost to the vast majority of Jewish people, due in part to violent anti-Semitism, often, I'm ashamed to say, encouraged by the church in days gone by. Now, at his circumcision, Jesus is given his name, which in full would have been Yeshua ben Yosef, Jesus, son of Joseph. His name is full of significance because Joseph is acknowledging Jesus as his son. And I found it interesting that both Mary and Joseph independently were told by an angel that the child's name was to be Jesus. Mary in Luke 1.31 and Joseph in Matthew 1.21. His name was important. Normally at the baby's circumcision, he'd be given the name of a relative. But God very clearly told Mary and Joseph to call him Jesus. In the same way, God overruled in the naming of John the Baptist, where the neighbors and relatives expressed surprise that 
There's no one among your relatives who's got that name. Sometimes I think we miss the importance of names in the Bible. They're often chock full of meaning. Donald Hagner notes, names held far more importance in that culture than in ours. Being thought of as linked with or pointing to the actual character and destiny of the individual. The linkage between the name and the future actions of the child is even more important when those names are given by God himself. So to Joseph is given the reason God chose the name of Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus because he's going to be the saviour. The name and the destiny go together. The name encapsulates the person and their character, which is why taking the name of the Lord in vain is such a serious matter. Michael Green draws attention to the linkage of the two names mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Emmanuel, in verse 23, which Zane talked about last week, and Jesus in verse 21. He writes, The other great name accorded to the child of promise here is Jesus. That word too has a meaning. Yahweh saves. God to the rescue, if you like. To be sure, it was a very common name, but it's clearly very significant from Matthew. As with Emmanuel, he explains what it means. Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This too was an Old Testament allusion. It comes from Psalm 130, verse 8, where we are told that God will redeem Israel from all their sins. Isn't it interesting? God promises that he will provide a rescue from sin, and centuries later, Jesus comes to do it. This is one of the many occasions where what is predicated of God in the Old Testament is applied quite naturally and unambiguously to Jesus in the New. Michael Green goes on, So here, at the Annunciation of Jesus' birth, we're brought face to face with the central theme of the Gospel, God, who's been at work on his people since the time of Abraham, has come among them in person. And he's come for the very specific purpose of rescuing them from the mess they've got themselves into. Christianity is not good advice about morals. It's good news about God and what he's done for us. Remember the past message the angels gave to the shepherds in the fields. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we've already seen the importance of the name Jesus. Yahweh saves. God saves. This was the great fulfillment of the vision of Jeremiah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, 
and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God had promised, and God has now provided in Jesus the complete fulfillment of his saving purposes, not only for the Jews, but for the whole world. This is the big story we have at Christmas time. God's provision of a saviour. Yet the story makes it plain that this is God himself who's stepping down into history to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Oh, the infinite grace and the mercy of God. As Philip Bliss's great hymn says, Hallelujah! What a saviour! But we need to look a little closer at what's meant by salvation. Man's greatest need is within himself to be forgiven and to be delivered from his self-centeredness and to be truly able to receive love and to give love. So it is to humanity in its great need that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ steps in and does a great work of deliverance and rescue. As one commentator put it, a rescue plan of epic proportions was carried out when Christ came in the flesh. So the apostles preached as Paul declared. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Or as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's love is for everyone. It's an all-inclusive love. But it has to be personally believed and received. So this great rescue mission is motivated by God's love for the whole of creation not in response to righteous things we've done, but because of his great mercy on our fallen estate. The underlying unspoken story is of the Exodus, the deliverance of the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. It was a work of God alone. With his outstretched arm, he delivered his people. He did what his people couldn't do for themselves, they were powerless. In the same way, Jesus came, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world to deliver us from bondage to sin and to selfishness. As Paul says in Romans 5, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is the great message of the new covenant. Forgiveness of sins 
deliverance from enslaving sins into the new life of the indwelling Spirit of God, bringing forth the fruit of righteousness, transforming us from sinners into saints. As Ezekiel foretold in chapter 36, I'll sprinkle clean water over you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God's spirit indwells you as a Christian and his spirit longs to manifest the life of Jesus in your life, in my life, in the here and the now. Yes, we have a glorious hope for the future when God's work in us will be complete, but we also have a hope for today. William Barclay wisely said, Christianity does not just confine its offer to blessings that shall be. It offers a man here and now life of a quality that he's never known before. When Christ enters into a man's life for the first time, he really begins to live. Our salvation is all-encompassing in its effects. As J.C. Ra wrote about the phrase, he saves his people from their sins. He saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them from out of the world to be at rest in him. And he will save them from the consequences of sin when he gives them a glorious body at the last day. So biblical salvation has past, present, and future dimensions. As a Christian, you have been saved by Christ, you are being saved by Christ, and you will be saved by Christ. And it's vital that we hold those three time dimensions together and live in the reality of all three. God has granted us forgiveness of sins through the finished work of Christ. God pours his spirit upon us in the here and the now to make us more like Jesus where we live, where we work, where we worship. And let not, our, let not our hearts be troubled. God has granted us a place with him in the new Jerusalem forever, where his transformation of us will be complete. This is but a summary of all that Jesus has brought to his people when he came as the savior of the world and brought us his salvation. I pray that all of us here are living 
in more and more of that glorious salvation. So let's rejoice that there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.